If I have to get punched in the face, that's fine. I understand third order derivatives. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Oh my god. So, that's interesting. Should I start it over again? We'll do a different intro. Uh... (laughs) Whatever, we're starting the podcast now. Good morning, good evening, yeah, (laughs) good night. I don't know how to start this show, uh, but we gotta get this show on the road. Uh, What are we talking about today? Well, I wanted to throw this out there. We'll see if this changes the dynamic at all. But uh, I can't remember what the context was. But but I woke up this morning no. with like a weird feeling. And what? You, what kind of weird feeling? Well, in the I was like, what is going on? And then I thought I was like, oh yeah, we have the podcast today. And then that made me feel like a bad feeling too. And I was like, what's going on? Because yesterday I was like, let's do it now. And then I realized it hit me. I was like, oh, my God, I had a dream about Ben last night. And you and I, I don't know what we were doing. It was like, I feel like it was some kind of weird, weird. I mean, it was a dream. So just like the weirdest environment. I I can't, I couldn't even describe. It might have been on a spaceship. Like it was something wild. God, I hope so. But we were, I don't know if we were like investing or doing something with taxes and you this is like a deep, this is like a Jungian thing oh, because you, hmm. whatever was happening was like you were getting the benefit because like you were like better, you know, and oh I was, gosh. I was not getting it. And I like had ideas and stuff and you were like, no, like you don't get to like have anything to say about this. Like I know what I'm doing. You're, you know, basically like just a loser idiot. And I was like so upset. In the dream. Oh, my God. And that was basically the whole premise. Like, I just basically woke up after that. And I, it must have been just enough in my dream state that I, I kind of lost. You know, sometimes I wake up to the dream and I remember it. Then I forget. But I kind of didn't have the dream until I started having all these negative feelings. And then it hit. I was like, oh, yeah, I had that weird, weird dream. That's why the mm-hmm. podcast idea of the podcast made me feel bad. Because I was like, why do I care? And then I thought about doing the podcast with you. And I was like, fuck Ben. And I was like, it was, it was Ben that was like, you're a loser. Like, I know how to do life better than you. I'm going to do this tax investing thing, whatever the hell it was. It was some nonsensical. I understand third order derivatives. So it was literally something like that. So that's probably why I can't describe it. Cause we're, I was probably literally dreaming about a concept that I couldn't understand, even if I were dreaming about it accurately. So it doesn't matter. Oh my God. I thought you were going to freak me the fuck out. I saw the first thing I saw, I opened Facebook earlier and, uh, so like mom of my friend, she just posts on Facebook. She's like, I have a bad feeling today. (laughs) Like, what is this? Literally, what is this? But she's like a religious person, and I'm like, you religious people got to stop freaking me out. You need. To I have down. a friend that does the opposite every day. I'm because I used to know this guy, and you know, we only hung out with each other individually. This is like my all my friends. Like no one hung out with me. Like no one to hang out with me. But I was like in the group. Like I was very much like that guy. But everyone knew oh me. It's weird. But he was like he always now he always posts. Uh, 
like the most almost uncomfortably optimistic things like just his oh, all his facebook posts are like opposite. wow what a blessed day it's just gonna be a one it's a wonderful day to be alive like love you all brothers and sisters and he'll like just randomly now he'll like message me every now and then he's like love what you're doing you know it's so great to see blah blah, blah. and i'm like I'm going to kill myself. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, you're so optimistic. Anyway. I do not know how to feel about things. Yeah, I was listening to Joe Rogan, or not Joe Rogan, uh, Jordan Peterson and Vivek Ramaswamy, which we can talk Mama, about. Mama, but Mama, yeah, Mama he's, yeah, they, they, I was like, oh, you know, they, they give me hope. They seem like they have a, a bright vision of the future. And then I also listened to Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman or whatever, or it's Andrew Huberman and Lex Friedman, whatever. And I just thought, I literally, this is like a genuine question. I was like, is something wrong with Lex Friedman? Like, is he having like a deep depressive episode? Like, what is going on? Why is every opening to his podcast like, I love you all. I'm so glad to be alive. No, he is so... He's a weird cat. Did he? But did he have Rogan on his podcast? No, he had Huberman. Okay. Huberman, sorry, Andrew Huberman. Oh my god, I was like, I've never heard of Rogan going on someone else's podcast. That was great. But they were all together because they were here in Austin for Lex Friedman's mm. birthday, and Joe Rogan, Andrew Huberman, and Lex Friedman all like posted a picture together in Austin. It, so that's why I got okay. confused. Isn't that as weird as Lex Friedman is? And we could talk about that, but I want to. I think there's something really. And so, do you? You might have been a little not like young, but like not in the world of like alternative media yet at all, really. The truth. At the time that this phenomenon arose, but do you remember the they would they were going by like the or I don't know if they were going by it or if people just called them this, but the intellectual dark web or something. Oh, I feel like that rings a bell vaguely. It was like it was like Joe Sam Rogan, Harris, Sam Harris. Yeah, like this and uh, those brothers that are so freaking weird. Um, were they? I think they're Weinstein's. The Weinstein brothers or Weinstein oh, brothers, Brett as and they prefer to be Eric. Whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so it's there's something weird about the constellation of what do you call those people like thought thinkers like thought well promoters. that's yeah what i was thinking i was like how did you guys even become friends like so andrew huberman as far as i know i don't think they really know each other like i don't think he ever knew any of these other podcasty people before he started his podcast he's like a professor at stanford or whatever and then lex friedman is like posting for his birth this is so great this is just like topical conversation but like he's posting with lex friedman and they're both like i love you so much friend forever and then it says like till the end and you're like till the end what why does this have like a weird ominous tone like till the end like we're about to all die or something it's so weird and sometimes so some people do get like alienated from it so like sam harris is no longer part of that so no one uses him by name that often anymore but they do kind of, i He's feel like they canceled. talk about him yeah. in ways in that whatever that group is because that group has grown and is not that anymore but like they'll be like some of the guys you know that we used to associate with and every time they say that i'm like sam harris like they're thinking about they're talking about sam harris because mm -hmm. like he was he was like so good and then he was like so bad but <laughs> it's just weird that because it, I mean, like you could draw, you could like map this out. That's like Joe Rogan. Let's, you could almost, it could, it's probably, it's like, it's like Joe. So like, it's like Joe Rogan's the, the gravitational center, but the orbit is elliptical. 
So like there's some that come really close to him. And it's a whole constellation, you know, like a, oh my God. like he's the sun, <laughs> a whole but solar like, body, <laughs> but like, yeah, but like, but there's like a Pluto way out there. And then like that even has its own moons that don't actually go around Rogan, but it's all within this, whatever this is. And it's like Rogan and it, it pulls in people like Lex Friedman, the Weinstein, as they prefer to be called the Weinstein brothers, um, <laughs> the like you were saying, like Huberman maybe is like pulled into that. Just uh, Jordan Peterson, kind of. Tim Dillon, Alex Jones now. Eddie Bravo, which is like kind of an anomaly. You know, just these, it's just, there's, it may just be a totally natural phenomenon of like safety where they're like, they realize we have an audience. We are going to say things that get us in trouble and we need a powerful constellation of support, basically, you know. I well, feel like probably. That could be I mean, YouTube came out and said, uh, updated their misinformation policy, and now uh, anything that contradicts the WHO, the World Health Organization, or local health guidelines like the CDC, well, that's uh, not going to be allowed on their platform anymore. Which, which is, is hilarious because they contradict themselves all the time. Oh, yeah. It's just hilarious, hear- too. It's like, what are we in? Clown world? Like, we just did this, and we saw how terrible that went. And now we're like, you know, what we what the problem was was that it wasn't stringent enough. <laughs> like, it, the world oh, is so strange. We weren't now. censoring enough. That's the problem. Sorry. And the FD, was it the FD? Never get a second me- medical opinion. There was, and now, now, now it's like trending to this FDA thing where they were like, the whole ivermectin thing is coming up again and there was some like hearing or something or or there was like a judge involved i don't know and they were questioning the person about the twitter things that they were posting you know that from the fda or wherever they were like stop using ivermectin like basically to the doctors like stop doing this and then they were basically being questioned on this now you know like after the fact and the fda is like it basically literally basically said like they were it was a joke and they're like what you're making wait the fda's in the business of joke making during a pandemic about pandemic related remedies like Oh. That's your excuse. You're making Give jokes. Give me a break. Give me so a that's break. not censored. That's not censored. That's good information. Anyways, enough. We have topics. Enough. Enough. And oh, unless you I, have more to say. I thought you were gonna tell us a topic. You want me to Oh, start? I do have topics. I well here's I have a really quick one. This is just a uh Monica has a thing she does called what to watch out for. She puts like a hashtag W T O F or whatever. Is it like a predictions kind of thing? This is just a thing I'd never seen before, and then it, I got in a, I got sucked into some weird rabbit hole, and one of the things that Good. I came across was called, and you might have heard of this, and I feel like people will start hearing about this. That's why it's a what to watch out for, but I don't think it'll be like a big promotional thing because it has a bad name. But I think that organizations, maybe like where you work, kind of like that kind of a environment is where you might see this start popping up first. And it's called zero trust security or zero trust architecture. And oh, yes. Have you heard of this prior to? Yeah, I know. See, it's complicated. I know about it because my partner, Michael, he's uh, in security and privacy Okay. So I know about this, but it that stuff is like, I don't even know enough to talk about it coherently. Well, I looked into it f- briefly, and I know plenty. Um, 
I know all I need to know because this is the basic <laughs> this is what my Perfect. my notes on this. So zero trust architecture, it's a digital security thing. Okay. And it's all because, you know, now we live in a digital work environment, yada yada yada, especially after the pandemic, within we're talking about government, uh, the people's access to government stuff electronically through AI, through cloud platforms and within uh corporate structures you're always you know pinging servers and using data internally all that kind of stuff and basically the zero trust architecture come at me michael i'm right um <laughs> get, get around the pod <laughs> or get out tell here. tell us after we listen to this and then correct us and then i'll try to be right again but we'll correct um, the record Basically, it the whole theory is it pushes all the monitoring of of risk monitoring to the endpoint, basically the user, so your device, and it's gonna it's the whole way this the whole premise I believe to this this architecture, the zero trust security, is it is going to use AI because. AI, everything, AI, AI, sweet, worshipful Lord, AI. And the way that, so we know the way that AI works. What's so powerful about AI is its ability to pull in not just some data, but like all the data, because that's, that's how it works. Like it has to create, you know, like a bell curve or some kind of Right. We need Statistical. just massive, massive data sets. It, yes. Yeah, all the data we can get our hands on. Because it's going to be able to pull out statistical inferences that we couldn't even create questions for because we don't, we can't see that much data, but it can see that much data. It's like right. that. They've got something like 15 trillion parameters or something now. Right. I mean, it just keeps going up and you're like, that's and it's just creating its own parameters. Yeah. yeah. It's creating it's so many parameters that, like you can't you can't count to 1 trillion in a lifetime counting not per second. I just mean counting as fast as humanly possible. You couldn't do it. So <laughs> it's so many. So so Right, exactly. So you combine monitoring endpoints for quote unquote, if it's always it's always security. Everything that's ever going to kill you is going to be given to you as a, as as like sold to you as it's going to help you be safe. So it's a security oh, thing. Yeah. So it, it's integrating endpoint monitoring with AI. Is what else do you need to know? So because that's how you detect anomalies, mm. and that's what this wants to do. So I can mm. I understand some of like the conceptual benefits. But my overarching theme on things like this, where like whoever the the first genius behind the theory, you know, whatever, before the second genius who's like, we could take over the world with this, the you know, <laughs> the first genius, there's a theory, you know, like it's not bad, but this it would is be my, really powerful. Exactly, if we that's literally what I was thinking. The world coin guy. I just thought <laughs> yeah. it'd be really powerful if I could control the whole world finance system and digital identities for all people ever. Yeah, that would be. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. Powerful. So that's my whole takeaway is that – so if even if you can see the conceptual benefits, we should think about this like – it's like the benefit – it's like I can see the conceptual benefits of having armed military uh, walking, marching up and down the streets. You know, basically not everything that could be done should be should done. Be done. Mm. And that's that's what I see this – zero trust and i think that that it's it's coming because it's like well of course they want to do that like they want 
in they want to stop focusing on the mainframe, whatever you want to call it, the server level security. And they want the security at the level of the endpoint user, which is your cell phone, your tablet, your computer, your whatever. And they want to use AI, meaning they're not they're going to capture all the data because that's how it works. They have to so everything you're doing, everything everyone's doing so right, that right. they can detect the anomalies. So this is a thing of what to watch out for, zero trust security architecture. And then when you start looking into it, it's coming for your company, it's coming for your government, it's coming for your city council, it's coming for everything. It's it's I mean, I'm not making oh, that yeah. that's that's no, it's that, like I that's know. how they that's ever like it's the like next it's in, gen security. Yeah. It's in yeah. all of it. No. And that uh, the only thing I'll say about this because I don't know enough is uh well, the same point we made before about AI and identity is that people will be like, well, in a cryptocurrency world or AI digital identity world like WorldCoin, the thing is that it's privacy enhancing. And then you're like, yes, because they won't know it's you. But that doesn't matter because the system is so sophisticated that things can be pointed out, like individuals can be pointed out. So it's like we don't need to know that it's you anymore. We just we just need to know that it was user blah, 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 blah. And then you're the anomaly on the system and then you get booted from the system. So it's like before we would have had to have known that, oh, Ben is doing blah, 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 that we don't want him to do. So we're going to arrest him. But now you don't need to do that. Well, the only <laughs> difference is they just don't call you Ben. They call you right. 0025-A alpha, and you know, BB6, <laughs> you know, 912. That's like literally your exactly. – so it doesn't – it, who cares that is your name? And we that tricks us because we're so connected our identity to our name that we think like, oh, well, you can't shame me if you just say that user 62018, you know, B, uh, whatever, you know, does right. some shameful, watches this on YouTube or whatever. But it's like, that's that's a, an illusion that it's the yeah. same thing. Your digital identity and your identity in this in this environment are, are the same thing. That's all that yeah. anyone cares about. It is interesting because you make it about yourself and like information that's going to be known about you when really it's about what you can and can't do. And so really this is becoming more effective at limiting what people can and can't do. And so yeah, it may be that like, well, we're not going to know exactly who's doing what or where it's not going to be released with your identity in the real world, but we'll be more able to control what you can and can't buy, what you can and can't say, because the AI will be able to automatically detect all of that and who, what users and endpoints are doing things that the system doesn't allow and whatnot. And so which is even more yeah. not only is it like more scary, but it's going to make things so much worse. And they actually there's this lady whatever another what to watch out for this lady has got to be i don't know her name's terry takai she's deep 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 but um they what were you just saying sorry i had to click away and i well i was like it's more about what you do and they're gonna have more oh, yeah, control yeah, yeah. over what yeah. you do than who you are i mean that's like kind of an irrelevant thing yeah and so they're obsessed with that's what made me think of that lady they're obsessed with the user and that's how they like sell it to these, like, for example, like governments, like we need to make it easier for like people, the, the people to like get what they want, get what they need from the government in a digital and en government environment. But if, if history has tell, told us anything, 
this is your, your experience will be what our last podcast experience was when I had no internet. The internet company that started oh as God, a yeah. f- that started as a phone company does not have a phone number to call to fix the fucking problem. So you can text them that you don't have internet and they will send you an internet link to go on the internet to fix the fact that you don't have internet. And if that doesn't work for you, which it doesn't work for anybody, uh, that's just too bad. Like there's no right. workaround. So that's what the digital landscape I, I that may just be that they can't they suck and they just can't figure even out how to do what they actually want to do. Like they probably want it to go smoothly. But to me, the what I, what I really think that like the high level discussion is at the user experience level at Xfinity is literally yeah. like this is I think this is a conversation. Well, we have these people that like can't get on the internet sometimes, and you know they seem to be really struggling. Um, you know, it's making our con- customer service you know it's really just suffering. We, we people don't like us. That's what like the normal worker says to. The, that's what the tech support guy says to the UX guy. The UX guy goes, thank you for your feedback. I'm going to go have this meeting now at this high-level thing that you're not invited to. And they go, listen, guys, uh, the customers are – they're idiots. You know, they're, they're – most of the time, they just need to turn the fucking router off and back on again. They're just they're, – they're morons, you know. So we're just wasting money having these call centers. We're just wasting oh our time and resources – and we're just spinning our wheels. So, you know, I think we have enough visibility into our network that if we just put up a, f- a wall between us and them, we know when the Internet's not working. We'll get to it when we get to it. And fuck those customers. I think that's how they think about it. They're like, oh they're God. the customer is annoying. That's yeah, how they think. Well, maybe. I mean, back to the zero trust thing. I think you just have to think about the literally the name of it it's like zero trust i know like, that's what that caught my sound attention like an environment that you want to be in and that's how they sell it too they're like well you won't have to trust other parties or reliant parties or whatever when you're doing transactions online and that sounds like a benefit but i'm like but well they'll sell it both like, ways that mm-hmm. we that your the organization doesn't trust you but this zero trust architecture also implies that you don't have to trust the organization because you wouldn't trust them either right those big evil organizations so there's no trust going either way and that makes it all anonymous and totally unpartisan and un Right. Problematic. Right. Which that's, yeah, the fallacy is like, no, you want relationships. It's like the eradication of relationships. And I feel like you want relationships because uh, stringent enforcement of standards on a relationship is not best. It's not good. Like you want trust is like, because I mean, and this is a good way to point to trust too, because this also reveals something about the understanding of trust in that framework is that I think trust is not the ability to it's not necessarily the ability to predict what someone's going to do. And you might think that it is. And I think that that is a way to think about trust. It's like the ability to predict what someone's going to do. Like I trust that they will do this. I have a high fidelity, high probability understanding model of how this person is going to act. But trust is also like your someone's commitment to your relationship and commitment to the values that you have. So partly trust is enhanced when something goes wrong and then that person reconciles or, you know, uh, repairs your relationship. In a world without relationship, you don't need trust. Right, right. And the standards, it's like they don't even acknowledge them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Think of like a robot future. I mean, it's like a fake kind of sci-fi scenario, but like, or those automatic phone things that you call for tech, like just help with stuff. You know, it's like you can't even get mad at them. You can't trust them. You don't. I mean, I get mad at them, but it's not, there's literally nothing there. They don't care. It doesn't, It like it can't care. It's like, it's a computer. I feel Literally, this way. I yeah. think about this. I play like the, I'm playing a Far Cry uh, 6 on PlayStation and it's such a good game. Video and game. I uh, sometimes I'll accident like every now and then you accidentally kill a civilian or something and you're like, oh, mm. damn. Or a mission will like, it just pop up like mission failed. And I'm like, I get wrapped up in it. I'm like, oh no, like. The cause, you know, like you're fighting for a cause, you know, everything. You're like, oh, my God, I didn't get the supply drop. Like, that's that's the worst. You know, like I'm really like I failed my people, but it's like there's no people. There's nothing there. Oh Every God. honestly, like the whole thing is just nothingness. There's nothing in there. Nobody cares. Everything's NPC. And even mm-hmm. your guys kind of NPC, like his life doesn't matter. Nothing in the world matters, even though it feels really real. And I think we could get our society who can and will come to a place very much like that, where everything feels really real. Because I've thought about like just playing these games. I'm like, wow, it'd be really. What if you like incorporated like AI into this and like made made the play experience like way way mm. more dynamic? You know, where like like it it mattered more because of how much more dynamic it was like the the thing the guy said to you wasn't pre programmed it was dynamic based on the actual situation that, l- that literally happened in the game and like how that situation took place like some people captured the fort because they blew something up some people they just kill all the guys whatever but like what if that mattered and there was ai in there and it like really integrated like mm, all mm. these data points of like, oh, well, you blew this up and that made this happen. And, th- you know, everything just kind of ch- shifted ever so slightly real time because of because of uh, a program that wasn't written solid. It was written uh, fluidly. It's a program that interacts fluidly like a like an AI might do where it's like it's not using a like, lo- the like a code logic your own adventure game like very much like that but even more like, like it's real like life yeah it's, but even version. more like it's it's di- it's literally dynamic so you think of like that language model that we looked at where they did those computer uh connectionist learning models and we just said like here's the alphabet and here's how we use it you know here's words and sentences and letters and stuff figure out what you can about it and it was like okay, these letters are like this and these, they didn't have names for it, but like basically it figured, it basically figured out conceptually, these are vowels, these are consonants. And it was like, like, so we say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y and sometimes W for vowels. Mm -hmm, And it mm -hmm. was saying in the, in the computer program, even said, and sometimes S. Well, why? Well, because a vowel comes after a T and we say tsunami. So sometimes S is a vowel, you know, like it just, it, it was that nothing was told to it. It was just able to react real time to what was actually going on. So you take that to like the nth degree. I mean, you'll need the kind of data centers that they're building right now that take up whole cities and use shit loads of power because we got to be really green. And that's the world they want to build. And these yeah. people are, by the way, from this rabbit hole, I went there. I've got a website. 
and I don't work for anybody, so I can't access a lot of it because it's like, sure, you can have this information. Just give us your company email address. And I'm like, well, I don't have one and I'm not giving you my mm. personal email. Gated but content, the old marketing ploy. But it is, there's an organization out there. I'll tell you what it's called. It's called, I have it bookmarked because I'm obsessed. Uh, choose another folder. Let's see. Oh, it's not going to let me look at them. I don't know how to use a computer. But anyways, it's like there's this organization <laughs> out there. I don't, I don't. I literally don't know how to use it. <laughs> but I don't know if it's like a government thing or what, but there's one thing out there that is like, it seems to be like the hub for this like digital world thinking. And they have like, they're, they're super obsessed with obsessed with education, technology, and AI, government, technology, and AI. And then they have sections for like corporations, for finance, for all these things. And the people that revolve around this are like crazy. Like this Terry, Terry Takai lady, some like who. Yeah. What's um, wrong with her? What's her crazy I don't know. I can't find anything about her. That's the thing. It's like, so you, we find these people, you know, the conspiracy theorists are like, oh, well, look at all this damning stuff about like uh, Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or blah, 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 blah. Well, I can't find anything bad about this lady, but. That's got to be there because uh, Terry Dukai is an American public servant who served as the United States Department of Defense Chief Information Officer. So the DOD Chief Information Officer, she knows stuff. From 2012 to 2014, she also served as the Acting Assistant Secretary of Defense for Networks and Information Integration. Uh, she is a member of the Board of Directors for FirstNet, the National First Responders Network. She received blah, 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 blah. Um, she served as director of Michigan Department of Information Technology and the state of Michigan uh, CIO. So she's just held, if you look at her, basically her background, she's just gone from like high level technology position in government to high level positioning, you know, just like very. Sure, but you were like, saying when I was talking about control, it reminded you of this woman. Why? Well, what I was thinking was about her. I feel like when I when I came across her, the stuff that I kept running into, she seems like what I was finding is that she was. I like read like hearings and testimony and stuff from her, and she was really focused on. She sounds like she's really effective at what she does. Like that's why she's like in from three years goes from like Michigan to the top the top level government technology person like. Boom, like in no time because okay. she's probably really effective. But she was all these like hearings and like her speeches and stuff seem to be focused on how do we make this really work? Like really work? Like where Zero trust architecture, AI, fu the AI technology future. Like how do we really get people embed she, AI into your corporation? She, and and she, but okay, she was, tr sure. she seemed like she was the one trying to trying to really she seemed like she recognizes that there's going to be there needs to be a really smooth interaction between this high level stuff we're doing and the people that it affects which sounds fine like it's like a yes please do that if you're going to give us an ai hell future like please make it work like don't make it suck you know like mm -hmm. if i have internet outage like make me capable of solving that without telling me to get on the internet when I don't have it. Like that's not going to work. So that's what I was thinking when, when you were saying something about whatever you were saying, I thought she's the one that's going to, that is seemed like she was really focused on like, we need to make sure 
that when Joe Blow has a problem with government and wants to start like a dumbass business and there's nobody in the government anymore, that it works because otherwise you can't have, you just basically, you can't have that not work. Like that has to work or this won't mm. work. Oh, and okay. once that gap sure, is closed, whatever. like, I know it's not that interesting. I'm What I was saying is there's nothing damning about her. I've just, the fact that she went from like, I work at Michigan to three years later, she's like, I'm the Department of Defense Chief Technology Officer. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Look no, out I don't for know. that lady, Terry. She's coming. Terry Takai. She's coming for you. She looks so Speaky, nice. Though. I have nothing negative to say oh. about her other than she looks like she's got a lot of power <laughs> and nobody knows oh. her. Well, I have got a clip because I have a take on this AI stuff. Okay, here we go. This is... I love clips. Chris... Back. It's oh, very God. confusing because this is going to bring me to my next point oh anyway. So I'm glad you're playing this. <laughs> Chris Beck is a man. He was a Navy SEAL officer, and he was in Navy intelligence, Army military intelligence operations. I guess some of the SEALs can do that or whatever. So they're talking about you know the stuff going on with the intelligence. I'm just making this point because this is a Joe Rogan episode where it says it's with Kristen Beck and Chris was trans for a time and was called Kristen. It was Kristen, Kristen then Kristen, then now, now it's Chris, Chris again. again. Yeah. So I don't know what to refer to this person as. Yeah, we have mm. all this, we have that, but now we have to redo the vehicles, we got to do this. There's a lot to it. How in, oh, that might be. If you look up Carnivore, and it how might show up the first you, one. How far do you think they are from developing autonomous robots? That replace people anyway in these situations. Think so with weapons? Because the stuff I was working on 10 and 15, 20 years ago and how fast we we're advancing back then. So I would, I would walk into a place and it would be, be a chip manufacturer for us to do our sneaky peaky bugs and stuff. And I would show them and say, hey, this is what we're working with right now. And then we would give them three million bucks, make it half that size. And it's all we would do to say, here's three million, half the size. Really? And then within six months, I'd give it to us here, half the size. And so when we were doing it, and for my budget, I think I had like $60 million. So, and it's, we had, it's huge budgets when you get to the top levels of the SEALs. And we really push it. And we're constantly pushing these envelopes of technology. And so you can kind of see, like, even when I was there, I know the sizes. And I know, like, you can have a chip, and you have a chip inside of a chip, and a chip, and a chip, and a chip. So you have, you can go all these layers, and all this stuff, you start digging. And then every time you have the chip, there's a lot of subroutines, subprograms, and everything else you can put into them. There's, it's just mind-blowing how wow. advanced we are. So if you, when you say, do we have autonomous right now, we have airplanes, vehicles, we have all of it already. Pause it. 20 That's years all I ago. wanted to play, so. Okay, good. Perfect. I 100% believe what she's saying. He's saying whatever because whatever they are saying whatever they are saying <laughs> because twenty I guess it would be about twenty years ago now when I was in elementary school this is back when it was really fun to check oh out books from the library you know like there was a library you checked out books they were back great. when I was seven and me and my friends. We loved getting books with, like, animals, bugs, uh, and guns, stuff like that. Like, we just mm. love guns, like looking at guns and stuff. So we had this book you could check out, 
This is 20 years ago. And I remember in the book, in an elementary school, they had pictures. And so you have to imagine, this is 20 years ago when I saw the book. The book was already published. Who knows how long ago the book Mm -hmm. was published. They had robot spy dragonflies and beetles and stuff in the book. Little tiny things that flew around and did spy stuff. In Were they the real though, or was it just like a? It looked legit to me, and it was in. Cool? It looked like an academic. I mean, I was ten, you know, or whatever. But I distinctly yeah, remember. You know, <laughs> I distinctly remember this a dragonfly that had, was a robot and had stuff in it, and that's what she's saying though. Well, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that twenty years so, ago? We were working on, she literally said, bug robots. Like, that's what I was looking at 20 years ago, was pictures of bug robots. And she's like, oh, all I needed was three million bucks. We could make it half the size. I don't think she well, said bug robots, but. Um, I think she did. She went like this and held her fingers up like this, little bug robots. What? She did not say listen, the word bug. Let's, let's we'll listen, listen to it again. again. Okay, here we go. We're going back. This is ridiculous. She does not say the word bug robots. Okay, I could be totally tripping. You are making shit up. This is wild. I cannot believe what you're saying to me right now. We are going to listen to this again because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, yeah, so you're definitely not driving saying. anywhere. So that's- Autonomous robots that replace people anyway in these situations. Have- think so. Yeah. With weapons. Because the stuff I was working yeah. on 10 and 15, 20 years ago and how fast we were advancing back then. So I would, I would walk into a place and it would be, be a chip manufacturer for us to do our sneaky peaky bugs and stuff. And I would show them and say, hey, this is what we're working with right now. Bugs. Okay, so she's talking about probably, she might be referring to bugs like we bug an office, like we throw a bug in there, oh you know, like God. to bug See, it. Wow, I didn't even pick up on that. See, now I but, look like a dunce. No, because what she could mean is like, that's what you call like, oh, the oh, this room's been bugged. You know, so she might be talking yeah, about that, but I think that's but all what you have I to assumed do is, or something. But she's talking in the context of autonomous right, robots. Right. That was the question. So the if the if the bug bug, if the bug the if the if the recording device is auton- is an, is right, somehow right. being brought up in the in the conversation of an autonomous robot, I'm thinking she literally was triggered to think. Sneaky peaky bugs, you know. She like means bees, like, like little, little autonomous, like small a fly, robots. yeah, something half the size of a dragonfly from twenty years ago, oh which is the size God. of oh. a, a black fly. Flies into an office, and Whoa. all it needs probably because all think about it's deeper than I thought. All you really need, I've thought about like the the way that this stuff could be used, and like the types of things you can to come up with. Like your phone has to have quite a bit of technology in it, ultimately to really like to do a lot of processing. But if, if you can just receive some data and then just transmit that data, the, the data can be analyzed somewhere else. So you could have a fly literally just be in there. And all you need is a, is a membrane of some kind that can sense pressure waves. And, 
and then it just transmits what is what is that what is that they don't even need that now they can just read the vibrations of your windows from the wi-fi yeah yeah or the wi-fi even yeah but you take that and then you just have a computer say okay what 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 vibrations from this membrane are ambient noise take that out Okay, what right, what right. what vibrations yes, exactly. are left? Okay, take that out. Oh, okay, the rest is voice. Now we can just analyze these yeah, vibrations yeah. and see what was said in that room. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So the context of this video, so she this was a, a year ago or whatever in 2020 before OpenAI launched their ChatGPT thing. This is a couple of months before that happened. And I just thought this is so interesting because what she's saying, he's saying is like so Joe's like, well, do we have autonomous? And she's like, she doesn't even hesitate. She's like, we already have that. She's like, we have chips inside of chips inside of chips. She's like, you can't believe how advanced it is. So my theory with yeah, this we, we is... We talked about those chips that are like smaller than a virus. Like that doesn't right. even compute. Like I'm like, what? How? Yes. The distance between the transistors or whatever is yes. literally like atoms or whatever. And uh, yeah, well, my theory was this... This AI stuff, I actually think it is really, really sophisticated, like she's saying. But the, like ChatGPT or like the stuff we don't have access to. That's what my point is, is that we oh. don't have access to the sophisticated stuff. Is that there is really sophisticated AI. This is total speculation, total conspiracy theory. But there is really sophisticated stuff. We just don't have access to it. And that this ChatGPT is like some dumb old version of it that they are just distracting us with. Thing. Yeah, 100%. there I go. I'm full and, conspiracy mode now. <laughs> and that's not even that difficult to believe when they gave us ChatGPT, and then like three days later, they were everyone goes, "Oh, this is like got problems." They're like, "Oh, okay. Well, we just invented ChatGPT four. It's like, what? Like what? When? Three days ago? Like just like that? Right. Like, like took them a day. Well, to and just by the way, too, the interesting thing she says. So ChatGPT works on like any computer that you have, like any device connected to the internet. You just go onto the web browser and it's working. But what she's saying is very different. Like she's saying the hardware, like she's saying chips inside of chips inside of chips. Your phone is not made that way. So your phone could not even run a program that needed that kind of hardware compute power. But there are things out there that she's saying there is hardware out there that is designed that way. And that would be way more powerful than what you can run on a browser in your phone, obviously. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, think about the power it takes to run an application, like, on your computer. Are we sure that technology is not in our phones? Like, I just wonder, because the phone is so small. Like, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. The phone is very advanced. But, like, I mean, just the di there is a huge difference between, like, what is commercially available and what, like, is actually possible and like feasible. So like you think about like quantum computers, like that's a real thing. Like there are real quantum computers, but you don't have access to that. But the quantum computer can run programs you can't even imagine. Yeah, and I don't know how many times we've made this point because I know we've talked privately and made this point. So I'll, just in case we haven't said it on the podcast, there's absolutely no chance, zero chance, zilch, nada, that ChatGPT 4.5, 7 point, what, I don't, any of them. I think we're on 3.54 or something. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever the best of the best is, all put together, all the different versions, none of those. There's no way that they just gave the most advanced right, right. 
artificial learning language model to the world for free or 20 bucks a pop. No oh, way. They love us. No way. Our elite technocrats, they just care about us and they want us to have the best. They want us and to have the best. Okay. I heard something recently. <laughs> this guy, some muckety muck or whatever, complaining because they had this whole like, let's investigate the dangers of AI. And one of the uh, dangers, you know, is that it can tell you how to do like bad stuff, which oh, yeah. so can the, inter- so can the internet. Say. And they kept using this example, and I was like, that's the worst example ever because it's completely not nefarious. They kept saying, maybe they just kept playing, whatever I heard this, they just kept playing the clip over and over, but like it'll tell you, you could you could ask it how to hotwire a car. Good. Like, Thank I goodness. need to know that. <laughs> I need to I know have, that for when the I, government steals my car. <laughs> well, I literally have a truck out there from like 50 years ago that runs and I could get working, but I don't have the key for it. And if I mm. need to start it, I will have to hotwire it. That's the only option I have until I get it rekeyed. It's oh, the only option. Yeah. So why is that bad? Like uh, people need to know how to do certain things. Sometimes not everything that some, that you think people shouldn't do is a bad thing. Sometimes it's completely benign. Like I have to yeah. hotwire the car. I actually have two vehicles that have no keys <clears throat> that I will need to hotwire. And I've, I know it's not difficult. I could figure it out on my own, especially these old model cars. But it would be really great if I could just ask the computer to do, which is exactly what the computer, it's like, that's the thing that makes the computer so great is yeah, that yeah, yeah. it's this thing I don't know how to do. I could just ask it how to do it really quick. And then I don't have to spend like seven years figuring out and apprenticing and reading books, trying to figure out how exactly do the mechanics of a starter and a solenoid and the battery and the fuel system all work in conjunction to yeah, hotwire no. this car. They're trying to limit your access to freedom. And I'm like uh, a freedom of information, whatever. I think uh, on some level, that's fine. Like you do have an argument there, but it's unprincipled to apply it now. I mean, we've had the internet for a while. So, and it's uneven. Like you're saying that, well, some people can't access that information, not the people who are building the AI, accessing the models, reviewing the content, moderating the content for you. Those people can all access this information. You, the end user, you don't, you don't have access to this information. So that's the part that really gets me because I do, I mean, I could see an argument for like, well, we shouldn't have the answers to every question. And it's like, sure, like, but then apply that to everyone. Like we just, okay, then it should be like, we just don't publish content. But then even then you're like, okay, well, how are we going to enforce that? Like, are we literally going to like be like, okay, like if you publish this type of content, you know, you're going to get arrested or something like that's, it's just totally unfeasible. And it's a total abuse of power and uh, restriction of people's freedoms. So they need to stop that. They need to cut it out. They need to cool it. We're done with that shit. Okay. Just quit, quit, quit trying to control everything. Yeah, no, I like have this chill. other thought, though. So to this other point, um, I had this thought recently. We are living in the fantasy of past generations. Are we, though? That was the <laughs> thought. And I was like, because if you think about, like, how do people create things you know like how do we shape the world around us and we like shape it in like our mind's eye or something like kind of like how we imagine it to be like the perfect world you know like 
how would this be better? And then that's kind of what we shape it toward. And then you think about like, we're living in what people prior thought the perfect world would look like. And they shaped it to be the ways that it is. And you've sort of inherited that. Intention, imagination, and will. Right, exactly. You're kind of living in the fantasy of past generations, which I think is like, one, just like an interesting thing to like think about, like psychologically, like what the fuck is going on? You know, like we are in some, like the magnetic chains or like the archetype, like of course that's happening. Like we're literally living in the fantasies of <laughs> old generate. Like they literally used to think about like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had sliding doors and flying machines? And now we have all of those things. So it's like, it's not even a far cry. It's like literally happening. But then the other thing I was thinking is like, if you extrapolate that to the future, like we are going to be living in the fantasy of the people who are making decisions about society now. And so that's like, I think that's the scary thing is like you think about like what are the fantasies of some of these people? And then you have people like Sam uh, Altman. Altman, yeah, saying like, wouldn't it be powerful if, if we had, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, that's not a fantasy that I think I want to live in or anyone should live in. So anyway, that just was a fun little thought I had. Yeah, some of that stuff too never gets realized, but I think there's a lot of trying. I mean, you sure, know, yeah, they used to yeah. think we'd have like flying cars. That doesn't seem we haven't figured that out yet. There was or this, they have, I, and they I haven't back given to, it to us. Yeah, there's this futurist named Peter Diamandis, and he had a, there was this thing called uh, I can't remember what the first thing I heard it called was, but then it, it was like Russia. 2045 or something and it was a weird kind of coincidence where i went to thanksgiving dinner and one of the guys there i guess i won't say his name but he's probably a billionaire a family kind of a distant relative and i don't know how we got on this topic but he was saying something i was saying something and i said yeah I heard about this guy named Peter Diamandis, and he thinks blah, 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 and he's involved in this project 2045. And this billionaire guy goes, oh, Peter Diamandis is my best friend, or one of my best friends. What? His his real best friend is Johnny Tyson. But he was like, yeah, Peter Diamandis is my best friend, or one of my best friends. And I was like, what? And so this really rich dude... Like, I thought I just found some weird dude somewhere. But apparently, he's, like, rubbed shoulder. Like, he's a bajillionaire, rich futurist guy that rubs shoulders with other bajillionaire, rich futurist guys. And uh, th- I, this thing, I so I just the other day thought about that. And I went back to the website just to see if it even existed anymore. And it was still there just as I found it. And it hasn't been active since, like, 2013. I don't know if it just got abandoned. So maybe that kind of thing happens sometimes. Like, people But what try. is it? What is it? Well, I can show you. It's very, uh, and maybe describe it's still it a future the for the listeners. Let me describe this? this. Let me open uh, Peter Diamandis. Is is this just a website or? Oh, Wikipedia is not for sale. Oh, okay. Let me see. Um, I think it's like uh, Russia twenty forty five. Oh, the Russia 2045 initiative? Have you heard of this? No. That's not going to play. Oh, no, it's fine. Yeah, you're good. 
The world is on the verge of global change. The speed of data transmission has increased by multiples of millions. The rate of globally significant events and that of discoveries and crises is growing exponentially. Our civilization is like an uncaptained ship sailing on rough seas with neither chart nor compass, all the while moving faster and faster. The time we have to make the right decisions is shorter and shorter. We are facing the choice to fall into a new dark age, into affliction and degradation, or to find a new model for human development. I just like to say it's a big boat sailing the sea in huge waves right now. And create not simply so a weird. new civilization, <laughs> but weird. a new mankind. Let me skip ahead. Oh, a plane. Historic crises show that to break the deadlock, we need technological revolution. It is clear that today's revolution will also require the I'm going to skip ahead again. And robotics. Oh, well, actually, I'll let you see so this. will allow us to find new sources of energy, create fundamentally new architecture and transportation, allow He's about to describe humanity, and I just think it's hilarious. Short carrier. We set our limits, go beyond ourselves, beyond the Earth, and beyond the solar system. This is an adequate response to the challenges of our time. Thus, new reality and future man will arise. Could it happen spontaneously, by itself? Unlikely. Humanity does not have a master plan of its development. It seeks stability. It lives in the present and does not plan. It preserves the status quo and tries to escape development. It does not tend to map future centuries and take responsibility for evolution. In consumer society's culture, there is no evolutionary vocabulary and rhetoric. To break the deadlock, the Russia 2045 movement was founded. It is a mega-project intended to reach new heights and meanings. We intend to create a new vector for civilization, aimed at constant human development and evolution. As happened with the mega-projects of the last century, the nuclear and the space program. Global Future 2045 Congress is held in Moscow. It is a debate platform for discussion of our civilization's prospects for development. 2012 to 2013, the global economic and social crises are exacerbated. The debates on the global paradigm of future development intensifies. New transhumanist movements and parties emerge. Russia 2045 transforms into World 2045. Simultaneously, the 2045.com International Social Network for Open Innovation is expanding. Here, anyone interested may propose a project, take part in working on it, or fund it, or both. In the network, there are scientists, scholars, researchers, financiers, and managers. 2013 to 2014, new centers working on cybernetic technologies oh, where's for the Nijukaku? of radical life extension yep. rise. The race for immortality starts. 2015 to 2020, the avatar is created. A robotic human copy controlled by thought via brain-computer interface. It becomes as popular as a car. In Russia and in the world appear, in testing mode, several breakthrough projects. Oh Android robots to replace people in manufacturing tasks. Android robot servants for every home. Thought control. Oh, amazing. Great. Yeah, we won't have to ever leave. The world and abolish <laughs> the need for business trips. Flying cars. Thought-driven mobile communications built into the body or sprayed onto the skin. 2020 to 2025, 
an autonomous system providing life support for the brain Amazing. and allowing it interaction with the environment wow, is created. It's doing a little dance the in the video. It's good. Avatar B. With Avatar B, man receives new, expanded life. 2025. The new generation of avatars provides complete transmission of sensations uh -huh. from all five sensory robot organs to the operator. 2030 to 2035. Rebrain. I think the colossal we've heard project enough. of brain reverse uh, engineering is implemented. Have we? Though? Have we? I mean, that was very close wow. to understanding. So you encountered this a while ago. It sounds like that's been going on for a while now. Uh, that I went to that website. And it looks just like when I found it. I mean, if you here, I'll back out, and you can see nothing is That's okay. Wild. Apparently, I can't use this website anymore. It's just, it's like, it's like it's dead. I don't know. Uh, Weird. Maybe it got uh, looped into something else or whatever. Because I was like, you know, it sounds a lot like Agenda Twenty Thirty or whatever. Like a lot of these things where people are talking about this. I actually have. I wonder if I have the clip um, of, I think it's this one, actually. I think part of my point there is that I don't know what happened to that. I don't know if that went underground. I don't know if that was just total BS. Obviously, a lot of their predictions were just not true. But iterations of those were true, you know, and... It's like, it, I feel like a lot of times that's the kind of way they sell that stuff. Like the oh, yeah. future is like, you're going to have a, a robot servant. No one's going to have to do anything hard anymore. And they show all that imagery of like modern, they're like current people, you know, like working in factories and they just act like they're a bunch of like losers. You know, they're showing like dumb looks on their face, just pushing buttons and stuff. And it's like, what do you... You're Look trying at how to, like, awful your situation is and how beautiful so, it will yeah. be when these avatars with human brains are dancing in the forest. If we could just re uh, reverse engineer the human brain, like we'll just give you everything you've ever wanted. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I wanted to play this clip. So this is a Yuval Noah Harari talking about exactly this thing. And this is like recent. So this is like something he's been harping on recently. Contrary to what some conspiracy theories assume, you don't really need to implant chips in people's brains in order to control them or to manipulate them. For thousands of years, prophets and poets and politicians have used language and storytelling in order to manipulate and to control people and to reshape society. Now AI is likely to be able to do it. And once it can do that, it doesn't need to send killer robots to shoot us. It can get humans to pull the trigger if it really needs to. AI has just hacked the operating system of human civilization. What we are potentially talking about is nothing less than the end of human history. Now, not the end of history, just the end of the human-dominated part. Contra so, isn't that was it, fun? Well, that's exactly what he was saying, what we talked about when he said that that we're going to live now in a world, and I have a point about this that we can get to, but, but we're going to live in a world where the art of, the human artifacts, like music, culture, cu cultural artifacts, right, all right. that kind of stuff will now be created. For the first time ever, there will be those types of artifacts that are not human created. 
Right. And AI will have generated them and will generate art and maybe be culture creating in some sense. But it's kind of funny because he's like conspiracy theorists think they're going to put chips in your brain. But in reality, we've controlled people through stories that for and I'm like, yo, dude. Do you not realize that's also considered a conspiracy theory that like stories right. and lies have shaped human <laughs> history? So I don't know if you're saying that conspiracy theorists are all, like just not 100% right. They're only half right. I, I don't know exactly what you're <laughs> saying. They're not there. deep enough in the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, like <laughs> They're but, still hung so, up on okay. the chips, but they don't realize that it's just stories and we could get you to pull the <laughs> yeah. trigger yourself if we needed to. <laughs> like <laughs> we always – like like we always have. Yeah. So I have – yeah, it seems like the only the the only thing we're going to be able to, and maybe this is a good thing. Like maybe the realization of this, I, I mean, for me personally, I feel like it's good, and I feel like for the collective, it would be good that like we need to slow the fuck down. And you and Monica's got it right with her her premise of her podcast, which is deep dives with Monica. If you want to understand something. You cannot get it. You can start on Instagram Reels. You can start on TikTok. You can start on Facebook. You could start by hearing an interesting fact. Sure, you get exposed. Maybe true, maybe isn't. Yeah. But you then you need to do if you want to have a worldview, if you want to fold this in, you have to do a deep dive. You have to commit or find someone you really trust that will do that. Otherwise, you will be fooled because that is what well, that is what is happening. Yeah. But it's so interesting because it like it really doesn't matter. Like that's what I think too. Like a lot of this stuff, like you get exposed to it, like it just doesn't matter. Like it really is a waste of your mental attention and bandwidth to like, like even stuff like nine eleven. Like to get to the but it's like that's not a great example. But like, it, like say the Maui thing. Like it really that so far removed from where I am and anything I could do to help them. It really doesn't matter like for me to get to the bottom of that. It does matter in the sense like it does matter in the global government, like world control thing. And that's the thing that it's like, that's interesting because there, you have to almost accept that like people at least subconsciously do believe that because they're acting as if they believe these things are true and are important to get to the bottom of. And why would that be the case? Because it really isn't important for you to get to the bottom of it because the Maui fires don't affect you. But they do if you're like the Maui fires are a global conspiracy to perpetuate a climate change narrative that's going to be weaponized against me and my community and people are going to stop me from buying oil and gas and electricity and the things I need to survive, then you're like, okay, this is important. And there's, I think there's a level at which that like people, like I think that the news, the mainstream and the conspiracies are both making the same mistake. They're both just going with whatever and then couching it in one way. It's global warming, therefore globalist takeover, or it's global warming is a conspiracy. They're going to tell you it's global warming and this is a globalist takeover which is a conspiracy, but either way, they both, both of them like to go, oh, poor Maui. And it's important to talk about this because poor Maui, but like you're saying, like kind of who cares because it's not here. It's like, I feel the same way kind of about the Ukraine on a certain level. I'm like, that's let's, we need to stop with that. But there is a, 
a piece of that that does affect us. So we send money, we send tax dollars, yada, yada. And, but you imagine the person from Maui going, you know, you, you like, maybe you be empathetic, you put yourself in their shoes and you go, well, these people from Maui, if everyone just ignores them, you know, you have this image of like the people in Maui going like, no one's listening, no one's, no one's helping. Like, oh, But I think even that is the wrong way to think about it. Because what needs to happen, I looked at some of these like government officials in Maui. Some of them are like the whitest of white people that oh my have, God. like, like, I'm sorry, but like, <clears throat> I get that Hawaii is a United States state, uh, but it's really a colony. And there is a different, there were Hawaiian people there. Well, literally and, it used to be the South Sandwich Islands. So what, what I think needs to happen in all of these cases is not it even on that base level of like just human level empathy, like who's going to help Maui or the Maui crying out for attention, you know, to, to do something about it. I, I think I, unfortunately, I think the solution is like very simple and it's that local, it's simple, but it's not easy. And it's that if you don't want bad shit happening, if whether there's conspiracy or no conspiracy, it's you there in that place and time that needs to put the 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 the, the yeah, metal well, to the grindstone I mean, and get control of what's going on. Like if you're wondering, then go to the council meeting. If you're wondering, like because this whole a lot of this conspiracy revolves around, well, they had this whole meeting there on Maui about like turning it into an AI super hub. I went to the website that corresponded with that there's one in georgia there's one in idaho there's one in montana there's one in michigan there's one in every state of the union and Mm. you don't know about that but it's come whatever you're worried about coming to maui it's coming for you too and you don't even know about it and you're not even going to show up. You're not going to fucking even know the name of your mayor, know the name of your city council, of your county commissioner, of any of those people. And we're not going to do a damn thing about it. We're not going to do a damn thing about it. No one's going to do anything about it. All wow. we're going to do is have a mood, you know, like that's what everything is. It's just moods and then the people in power. And we think that like, well, if my mood is right, like that will affect it. But it doesn't. It works for things like Budweiser because you could just have a mood about it and be like, I don't, my mood is bad towards them. I'm not going to buy that stuff. And then it hurts them, but it doesn't hurt the power elite or even your council level or whoever's puppet mastering your city council. If you have a bad mood about it, they, they just want you to not have such a bad mood that you show up. And quite frankly, nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. I don't show up. I don't know the name of the mayor in, in this city anymore. I kind of I mm-hmm. used to know the guy, mm-hmm. but he's like gone now. Like I don't know who it is, because yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's re- you're an idiot. Basically, we're all idiots <laughs> because we're idiot. running around going, oh my god, oh my god, this, oh my god, that is like, have do you know the literally? Do you know the name of your mayor? Like yeah. you should know the name of the mayor and your little city. And if you don't, shut the fuck up. And I feel like I'm saying that to myself. I'm like, shut the fuck up. You don't who you don't even care. But yeah. it's because, but I think there's an impulse. Like we just want to be left alone. Like well, that that's I, I think saying. is the impulse. Yeah, I think there's like a it's a time old story of like I mean, what was that? That was like Empire back in the day with the the British Empire. It was like, look, leave us alone. Like 
we are going to do our own thing. Like India, all these colonies, you know, uh, Australia, whatever. You know, we're like, we're doing our own thing. Thank you. We've had enough of you pulling the strings from far and away. We are going to handle this ourselves now. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what we need. Because a lot of this is like because of the premise of central federal government and how large it is. Like, I mean, even in the Maui situation where you're like, what people aren't doing enough to help. And it's like, well, that's only built on the premise of like the federal government needs to help in every tiny little situation ever. It's like you should really focus on like your state and maybe your city and your county. Like what are they doing to help? Not what is the federal government? Like that's the wrong thing because the federal government, if you're like, well, it's their responsibility to do everything. Well, then you're literally handing over all the power and control to them. You're like, and then you're also complaining at, you know, at the same side of your mouth. You're like, <laughs> but I also don't like that they want to push global, you know, climate change agendas on me and, you know, cryptocurrencies and CBDCs and zero trust security architecture and AI. Oh, yeah. like, okay, well, which one is it? Do you want them to help with everything or do you want them to get out of your business? Just um, start saying no to everything, really. I mean, that seems to be the main Yeah. But you have do. a fourth turning thing. Are you going to read this test? Because I think that would be interesting. I can't. I have some stuff text. to read. I can't. I'm looking for. The, I might not have underlined. Oh, actually, maybe I had just found it. Okay. So the whole theory of the fourth turning. Fine. Don't read the book. If you do get the book, look at the table of contents and read the relevant parts. I mean, to read this book, you truly to really get the full effect. You have to know a lot about history or you're just going to be taking this guy's net word and he's going to be throwing historical figures, names at you. And I'm talking like Jonathan Edwards, Cotton Mathers, the Tudors, the Ro War of the Roses, the Hundred Year War, the French Revolution. I mean, uh, if you don't know anything about that, the book is just meaningless. You're just like, what the fuck? It's like reading oh a, a AP history book. You're like, I don't know. I don't know the background on any of what this guy's saying. This is just one of those stories used to control me. <laughs> Well, it's weird. I mean, I read a big chunk of it and then I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, okay, now I think I could skip some big chunks. And I, I've, I get the picture with all this historical stuff from like the 1700s that I don't know about enough for it to really help me under like grab what this guy's saying and believe it. Cause I'm, I just don't know. So I've gone to like some of the more recent and relevant stuff and some of the more topical things you can read what I sent you, but I have a, so he, I'll give you the basic thing that's important for what I'm saying. We have up until now been in the third turning, let's say. We're in what they what he calls an we or we have been. There's a question mark here. That's the thing. Is we don't know when this fourth turning is happening. So this guy, that's what this is the fourth turning and the all the parts about the the new fourth turning that's coming are kind of like up in the air for him. They're coming. And actually I think this book gained popularity because one of the writers, there was two guys, one of them died, but the guy who's still alive is publishing another book about the fourth turning, which should now be either happening or just about to happen or something. We're on the precipice between the third and the fourth. Yeah, the, the fourth turning part of this book, I think the chapter is literally called the, the fourth turning prophecy because we, we don't know yet when this book is written, which I think was the 90s or something. So you have to ask yourself as, I'm, as I'll read these things, are we in the unraveling? So there's an unraveling, and what happens after an unraveling is a crisis. So the fourth turning is the crisis, and we're either in the crisis or we're in the unraveling, and probably one way or the other, we're very close to the line between the two. We're either right before or right after, and if we're right 
before, then the crisis is about to happen. If we're right after, I think the crisis is kind of is either building up or it's kind of just starting. That that's kind of the idea. So talking about um, so here's just I'll just read you some like little quotes because I think some of this stuff really does hit home. Some of it I I don't know, but it says during an unraveling the gap between acceptable gender roles. Maybe I should read this slower. During an unraveling, the gap between acceptable gender roles shrinks to its narrowest point. The efficacy of masculine power and feminine morality is re-idealized during a crisis. So we're in an unraveling where that gap is narrowing, but it comes back around in the crisis or after the crisis. And then there's also a high, which happens after the crisis. So during a high, the gap between acceptable gender roles grows to its widest point. And after that, the cycle repeats. So that I found to be very interesting because, mm-hmm. I mean, if nothing else, that is a major, major theme of our Doesn't current. Doesn't even need explaining. And as he harps on that, I'm like, I'm beginning to think we're in the crisis. I mean, we're we're in the end of the unraveling. Because what he says is that those readjust again in the crisis. So the reaction to everything, which we all feel coming, something's coming, something's coming. That's the fourth turning that this guy believes. That's the crisis. And that when that comes, there is a part of, I think, everybody's mind that that thinks, you know, this could all backfire for them really badly. Like we could, because all this like trans stuff, people could like snap back to like traditional Catholic values in a heartbeat. And just reject all of it. And then that is kind of the dawning or the sign or a signal of a crisis. Mm-hmm. And that this mm-hmm. crisis is right here. And of course, if this all culminates into a crisis, we'll look back at what we feel like fomented the crisis and reject it all. So we'll say, oh, all this gender stuff. Fuck all that. Crisis time, baby. Like only one way to solve this. Manpower or, you know, or whatever, you know, or women to save our children. You know, they need a, we need our Stereotypical women. Stereotypical men and women, family values. But it makes sense. You know, you yeah. need your mothers need to be with their, like need to parent their yeah, children. Like yeah, they need to yeah, be exactly. watching their children and our men need to be fixing this problem and f- solving our crisis. And that, of course, that that will happen because something has to happen. Right. Okay. Right. So that's very interesting to me. It really, I feel like gives credence to some of what this guy's saying. Another thing about the unraveling. I don't know how much to read. I mean, some all of it's kind of interesting in these sections, but I'm just trying to do it quickly. But uh, I'll start here. An awakening, which we don't have right now, that'll be after the crisis, we'll be old. Um, an awakening returns to a natural, spiritual, folk, rural, and primitive motifs, always starting with a thaw, T-H-A-W, a thaw, in conventional social uh, discipline and emergence of conscious-driven lifestyles, fetishes regarding food, dress, language, sex, and leisure. Okay, that's an, that's a high an awakening. An unraveling where we are is the most eclectic era with the deliberative. Uh, sorry, with the deliberative. Uh, sorry, I don't know how to read. An unraveling. I don't know words. Okay, <laughs> these are big words. An unraveling. <laughs> is the most eclectic era with a deliberate mixing and crossing of styles, periods, and genders. A fourth turning, 
crisis, brings new interest in the rational and classical, in, simpl- in simplicity, restraint, and decorum, while gender-related fashions begin to reformalize and return to elegance. So that's in the midst of the crisis and lingers after yeah. into Seems the high. like what's happening. So, okay, let's see what else we have here. A lot of historical crap. Well, while you look, I did want to bring up this one thing. This is like kind of tangential, but uh, about gender roles. I was listening to this podcast on modern wisdom with this woman. I can't remember her name, but she's talking about she did this study where she tried to reach out to all the top psychology professors in the top universities. And it was just all the, the psychology professors in the top 100 something universities. And she uh, asked them about like the stuff that psychologists, the taboo subjects that they won't talk about, like kind of getting at what they thought was taboo. And uh, well, she found exactly what you'd suspect to find is that it really is a silent minority that hold the views about like in the debate seemingly about what's okay, what's not okay. Is it a silent minority or a silent majority? Silent my mi- or silent majority, a vocal minority. Sorry, yeah. Right. Okay. I thought that might be. Yeah, she was yeah. like, most people actually think, yeah, a lot of this stuff is nonsense. It's D E and I. Like, yeah, we need to really get back to the science. But she was saying a lot of this. The most interesting thing was just she said, so the gender roles have really switched since about like t- two thousand two thousand nine or ten or whatever, somewhere around there, where all of a sudden we had this you know, what used to be like preference toward men in like higher institutions and whatnot has now been preference toward women. And she's like, and that's documents. She's like, so now like women get preferential treatment or whatever. And that's maybe an over correction to some of the things that were going on. And she's like, so this has feminized a lot of higher educations. Like we have more female students, we have more female faculty. And she's like, and we're on track to have increasingly more female faculty. And she's like, and because of the sex differences between men and women, that this has really changed the goals of higher education institutions. And that was one of the things she bore out in her study where she was like, 60% of men think like truth at all costs, like truth is always the most important thing, where she's like, 60% of women will say it's complicated. And she's like, and those are the people doing the research. And she's like, because women, she's like, naturally- Do I look fat in this- Exactly. She's like, women naturally have this like harm protection or harm reduction impulse. Like, and she's like, men are more naturally geared toward like truth and, you know, external harm reduction. She's like, women are more. If I have to get punched in the face, that's fine. Like, sometimes you have to get punched in the face. Right. Men are like, stop the fight or have a fight if we need to stop the violence or something. Whereas, like, women are like, we need to make sure people feel okay and people are good on the inside. And she's like, but when you put women in, you know, institutions of higher learning. If I can tell a lie and stop a fight, that's worth it. Right. Yeah. So she has, she's like, it's really just, she, her theory was like, a lot of what you're seeing is just the product of the change of gender roles in the institutions of higher learning. And so she's like, because women will say things like, well, she's like, they're actually more concerned about the moral ramifications of the research than whether or not they're true. So she's like, they want to publish findings that are morally good than are true. And so that's why they say, well, it's complicated. And that they'll make arguments like, well, what's the harm of perpetuating this finding that or publishing this finding that might perpetuate stereotypes or something? And so they'll be like, that's not a morally right thing. 
and like this finding isn't morally correct and so it should be suppressed or whatever and that's such an interesting thing and and she says too she makes this point though she's like but like you have to really think that out because you don't know you're not doing like a relative trade-off you're just saying like well the perpetuation of negative stereotypes justifies not publishing the findings like but you don't know what the downstream effects of not publishing this are like what's okay one you don't even know like have you measured the effect of like the negative stereotype? Like what's actually the negative effect that you're talking about that you seem to be trying to avoid? And then is that better or worse than what would happen if you don't publish this finding? You know, and I think her point was like men, you know, tend to like be committed more to the truth and that women, yeah, just they, they're weighing these concerns or whatever more so. And I thought that was such like an interesting little take on it. And all it may that. be a commitment to truth, but it may also be just a commitment to or an a willingness to uh, take again, take punches. So, mm. oh shit! Yeah. I found something. People aren't going to like this because men and aren't as vulnerable say, as women, right? Or they're they're a little generally a little more used to, you know, buck up. We're crying. What are you doing? You know. Well, yeah, they pick on it. each other. You know? Yeah, that too. Yeah, men. And the other thing I thought was interesting, the last thing I'll say about this, that we could go back to the four turnings. But um, so the moral thing, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, women are like more concerned about the morality of science and like it being used for the right reasons. And I thought, you know, she kind of said, well, that's, you know, maybe that's not the point of science. The point of science is truth. It's not to get at like ethics. And but I did think, you know, maybe that like we have been overdue for that kind of reaction because like we talk about so much like how many times science is used for such amoral reasons and you're like yeah can we please get some people in there to be like stop doing the mk ultra experiments where we're like literally harassing 16 year olds for years like that needs yeah. to stop now okay <laughs> and we might see some of the rumblings of this again this amoral trajectory emerging as we come into this fourth turning with people like not quite but like oh well yeah maybe uh sam altman i mean mm. that's a pretty masculine notion i thought it'd be really powerful if i controlled the entire world's finance in a global identity system okay have you spoken to any mothers like <laughs> shut the fuck out bro like what are you doing you know and and or the Elon Musks who are kind of like, yeah, I mean, fuck everybody else. I think I'm going to kind of do whatever I want to do as much as I can. Or the David Sachs, you know, like there's there's this emergence. Or the Donald Trumps, you know, that, that give off this kind of vibe that like, meh, fuck you. You know, uh, I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. I'm going to have the camaraderie with who I want to and screw the rest. So, but what this guy says in this book is that because he talks about like the unravelings in the crisis, like they seem like bad things, but he kind of believes that you almost can't do without it. If without the cyclical nature of things, uh, kind of things would, no matter which turning you decided, mm -hmm. let's get stuck here, let's get stuck here, let's get stuck here, it would it would it would end in a total destruction because none of them, even the high, doesn't produce. It doesn't. It's not the perfect thing, you know. Mm -hmm. It does. It's not quite mm -hmm. all the way it's there because complete. you end. Yeah. Yeah, and it and you and it it creates things that need correction. So, like a high, will have certain people being born in the high, and at the high, their parents will raise them away, and then the way those people are raised will not 
it's not like they're it's not going to maintain the right they're the literally era. raised in different circumstances than the people who built the thing at the high or whatever yeah so it's like you can't really escape that cycle and now here's the scary part about the cyclical turnings though and where we are currently in our history <clears throat> now there's a little chart here and i'll read you some well let me read the sentence first does the rhythm of the saculum make a major war unavoidable no one knows an awakening does not require a war nor perhaps because that you because in the theory it kind of has some wars nor perhaps as a crisis even though every fourth turning since the 15th century has culminated in total war that's the scary thing and so this guy i will give him this he is not he might be shoehorning a theory around reality but he is not shoehorning reality into his theory these his theory is here's a timeline now if the timeline is right these wars should not deviate from my timeline and i will give him that they have a scary consistency date wise on how yeah. <laughs> very low margin of error and he admits there was one there was a time where we missed a turning and it was right after the civil war. And I think, I think his theories, his observations say that it's the only time it's ever happened. But in that time, no hero generation was born. So we missed the hero archetype. I don't know how it happened, but the civil war, I can't remember what his like full theory there is, but the, basically that actually was a little hiccup in, and it might be, it was just in our American Saculums, basically. Mm. So that's interesting. But so you have the first turning, second turnings, third turnings, and fourth turnings. The first turnings, and this is throughout like a lot of history, Queen Anne's War, War of 1812, Korean War. So the first turning, those three. Second turning, English Civil War, King George's War, Spanish-American War, Vietnam War. That was a second turning war, not a crisis war. Third turnings, French and Indian Wars, Mexican War, World War One. Operation Desert Storm. Fourth turning wars. The other thing about this list is it's much longer. <laughs> wars. Now, now you're gonna know. You're gonna know these wars. War of the Roses, the Armada Triumph, King Philip's War, Bacon's Rebellion, King William's War, the Glorious Revolution, the American Revolution, uh, the American Civil War, and World War Two. Those are all falling on fourth turnings. And they account for all the turnings since like the 15th century, every fourth turning. So every saculum, like every full cycle, the crisis has a war every single time. So even the hiccup of the Civil War didn't didn't mess up the cycle. It just messed up the generations, the types of people that were that came through, but the system remained intact. So if the theory is right, we're like, we're ready. Like it's time for war. And we have the Russia mm. tension, we have the Ukraine tension, we have the China tension, we have the Africa tension. We have all the tensions. We're ready to kill everybody as soon as possible. So that's interesting. Um, okay. Oh, yikes. Finally, yeah, it's weird. It's just the only thing – I'm like – I don't even know about this guy's theory. I just know that the dates are freaky. I'm like if it happens every time for a thousand years – seems like 
God. Look, I'm not crossing like, your fingers isn't the right choice. Here. A world peace idealist. I'm a realist. I and Jordan Peterson's made this point. He's like, enforced non-conflict doesn't eliminate the need for conflict. It just means that the conflict is suppressed. And people yeah. think that. Like, and they operate in their relationships that way. It's like, if well, if I never argue with my partner or my friend, well then things are good. And it's like, no, like there are conflicts that come up, you know, you, you actually need to like talk those out. Now, the question is, how intense do those conflicts get? How long are they? You know, are they quick? Are they cordial? Are they whatever? Do they resolve the problem? Exactly. Do they like if you can you have an argument and then and, and it ends and we OK, we get each other now and then then that problem has gone. Right. Or right. at least, you know, now you don't have to have that fight again. Now, you know exactly. what this fight is and like, OK, hang on. We're not doing that again. We're not going to swing at each other but this is happening we could, i've had those with kim it's like hey that thing we're we fight about that's happening right now and we're not going to fight about it now but i you know that's a different that's better like because it's like okay it's still there but we know we got to work through this in a way and we've talked about what it is we don't need to talk about all that again well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, like the Ukraine stuff or whatever's going on with China. I'm like, there is tension. And it's like, we really do need to resolve the tension. Like, we can't just continue sweeping it under the rug. Now, what does that look like? And, and how long does that last? Like, you know, maybe there is a border skirmish on Ukraine because, you know, Russian troops have been pushing the boundary of their country for years. And maybe that required some sort of, you know, like show of force. Like, hey, this if you don't stop, like, this is what's going to happen. And, and I think it's, then like, it's if like, they want to. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if they Ukrainians want to, want to. Yeah. And then it's up to them to like figure that out. And then obviously you don't want that to go on forever. Like you want that to be resolved swiftly um, as you do with any argument. You know, like let's get through this swiftly. <laughs> you know? And maybe Kamala, maybe Kamala Harris is right. And that what you need to understand about the war in Ukraine is that Ukraine is a little country and Russia is a big country. Maybe you can <laughs> oh understand that. And maybe if you see something weird happening and maybe we don't know, but like I, I'm I don't think this is what should be done, but if you were the kind of person that said, Hey, I don't know, there's a conflict going on over there and it's a heavyweight boxer fighting a featherweight boxer and I don't know who I agree with, but I know that's not a fair fight. So Oh, here, sure. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Here's a little bit. Of, here's a little something, something. I know, but we're for... doing this dumb shit, like just giving them. Well, money. no, I mean, it's I like, said a little yeah. something, something. We're like, here's twenty trillion dollars or something. Yeah. You know, here's our entire GDP. See if that helps. It's like if that doesn't help, what are you doing? I mean, we've given you our military budget, right? You yeah. know, like, and they're not even the talking about it in the sense of like, let's get through this conflict quickly. They're talking about it in like. Let's destroy Russia now. You know, it's like Russia is the the arbiter of evil and it needs to be eradicated. And you're like, OK, no, this was a conflict. Each side had genuine concerns. Uh, Russia was concerned that they were joining NATO. Ukraine was joining NATO and they were going to put, you know, troops and stuff in the Ukraine. And then Ukraine was worried about its border because Russia was pushing the border, you know? So it's like, obviously there are concerns. And that's just two. Like, obviously there's more. It's more complex than that. But we yeah. are over here like, well, you know, Ukraine is virtuous and we just need to destroy Russia. So yeah, it's, that's all nuts. So that's nuts. who anyway, knows? Anyway. But so the third, okay. So here's some more little, little nuggets from this whole theory. Okay. This and is just to help here. us understand. 
The, th- the third turning is an unraveling. So we, we may be in now, just to help us understand. A downcast era of strengthening individualism and weakening institutions when the old civic order decays and the new values regime implants. Artists enter adulthood, prophets, midlife, nomads, young adults, and heroes, childhood. The fourth turning is a crisis, a decisive era of secular upheaval, when the values regime propels the replacement of the old civic order with a new one. Prophets enter elderhood, nomads, midlife, heroes, young adulthood, and artists, childhood. So millennials are, I think, mostly supposed to be the heroes. And that would make our uh, parents like the nomad, probably, generation. Mm. Grandparents, the prophets, and the children that are being born. Well, the children being born in the fourth turning, so during the crisis, will be the artists. So oh, that's so interesting. We've got the Gen Z artists, the yeah, millennials so our, our, as the heroes. Our the the grandparents of the so our our parents would be nomads. Our grandparents would be prophets. Mm-hmm. That's I interesting because that's kind of what like Jordan Peterson seems like to me. He's like it's a, a little bit on the edge. Yeah, it's 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 hard to draw the line specifically, but th- but he's what he says is during the third turning, during unraveling, artists enter adulthood, prophets enter midlife nomads young adulthood and heroes childhood so theoretically the millennial was born during the unraveling during the third turning so that's the so but now in the crisis the millennial will no longer be the child they'll be adults so they'll be entering their young adult mid-adult kind of era which means something because power begins to change hands you know people age out things like that Mm -hmm. we're like but and look at our Congress now. It's like thousand year old people that can't last forever. They've got to die at some point, you know. So no, they're gonna live forever. They're gonna be uh, brains in those avatar bodies, like Yuval Noah Harari said. Exactly, and <laughs> Peter Mendes and all the others. Yeah. So during a fourth turning, the constellation contains all four archetypes bo- born in the current seculum. So during the first three turnings, the constellation includes one or more archetypes born in the prior saculum. But in the fourth turning, the artists, the prophets, the nomads, and the heroes were all born in the first, second, third, and now fourth turning. So everyone, which is why it resets again with the awakening. Because in this cycle, everyone currently alive was born, or in the fourth turning, which we may be in, everyone being Everyone born and alive came from this four-stage cycle, whereas one generation prior, one turning prior, one of the generations was born in the last seculum. So our great-grandparents or whatever were born in the last four-stage cycle. So they have the, like a the whole fourth stage of the last cycle. You mean of the last cycle? Yeah. So they okay. had a crisis to look at, but now we nobody during our crisis had a crisis. We're mm. all from this, We're all in the ter- same this whole cycle. cycle. It's very so that's I also see. very interesting. Like okay, that's so, the idea that like no one is around who like remembers World War Two. Like all those people are dead now. Right. Okay, so mm, that's this is relevant. I underlined this, but I said this is during uh like the Clinton era or whatever. It said the institutional order, I guess this would be kind of during an unraveling, or maybe the beginning of it. 
the institutional order was not working and was not worth defending. No one felt responsible for things as they now stood or functioned, not even the leaders. It says President Clinton presiding over big government could proclaim in 1996 that the era of big government is over. (laughs) But then, by then, the top public officials were freely admitting that their own agencies had become bureaucratic nightmares. So anyway, okay, this is the last thing I've got. Okay. Um, Then we're out of here. We're done. This is again talking about. Uh, I think I'm. This is a a, thir- a third turning, or a um, unraveling cycle. Conversation, which we are either in the end of or just left. It says, an unraveling, often opens on a note of good cheer and renewed confidence. So that would be like maybe the eighties, seventies, eighties. But the mood invariably sours. That's where we are, the end of that unraveling. It invariably sours. Satisfaction with private and spiritual life remains high, while trust in public and secular life declines, with fur- which further erodes the habits, rules, and manners that the awakening has already delegitimized. The social entropy builds its own momentum, stripping each layer from the old order, making the remnant look ever more corrupt and useless. This prompts even more cynicism and further calls to destroy what remains. The era nears its, nears its end amid a grim new expectation that the trend toward personal autonomy and institutional overthrow will, will persist indefinitely. Skipping ahead, people act out, welcoming conflict while disdaining consensus. All relationships seem in flux, and loyalties in doubt. All outcomes chancy. Society fragments into centrifugal parts, with small-scale loyalties rising amid the the, uh, sinking tangle of civilization. The pace of life quickens, and time horizons shorten. Mounting secular problems are either deferred or deemed insoluble. As in other turnings, the mood of an unraveling results from the gradual aging of the generational archetypes. Here is what happens across the life cycle. As empathetic artists replace heroes in elderhood, they quicken the pace of social change, shunning the old order in favor of complexity and sensitivity. I could keep going, but that's basically probably enough. As alienated nomads replace prophets in young adulthood, they become brazen free agents lending their pragmatism and independence to an era of growing social turmoil. As heroes replace nomads in childhood, they are nurtured with increasing protection and pessimistic adults in an insecure environment. To older prophet parents, hero children are instruments uh, through which their inner visions can someday be achieved. To younger nomad parents, they are beneficiaries of a hard-fought effort to rediscover and reclaim a close family life. So a lot of this yeah. stuff, these are like just the little things that I thought kind of seem like they yeah. are vibing with the time. They're it's vibing, man. Yeah. They're vibing. No, it's true. I uh, It's a little hard to follow, but if you listen closely, I think just because he says so many words that you're like, I'm not used to hearing like nomads, prophets, third, fourth, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, what's, that's what I find so interesting about the theory is it's so difficult because it's talking about, in a way, he's saying, like, you're, you are, like, one of these things. And so because you're this thing, you're not those other things. And then so you ha- and then you're, like, 
asked to understand those other things and you're like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what my parents Mm -hmm. really experienced. Like, and then you, then you have your own personal experience and you're like, was I, was I overprotected or was I, uh, not overprotected? Like what, what did my parents parent me a little bit more like their parents parented them or was I parented in a reactionary way? And then, so now you have to look back another generation. Like now you have to look back at the artist and you're like, okay, so was my grandma, how did she treat my mom? And then I can compare my mom's treatment to me and see if it's different in which dinner, you know, it's, it's just, it gets really difficult to really understand. And then you add on all this like history and all these historical figures. And you're like, dude, I have no idea. Like, I don't, how could anyone know enough of the feeling of any era to really know if this fits? But that's why I've kind of skipped to like, okay, let's see where he thinks things would be now and going forward. And if he seems really, really right, yeah, then I maybe can take a little bit more credit, give him a little more credit for some of these like historical concepts and like as evidence that sure. see this really does happen all the time because now we're here and look it's exactly like I say it is and some of it's true some of it's not and I don't know if I fully he really wants to replace linear time or no time at all with like cyclical and time yeah he wants it to be very cyclical and I think it's probably a little bit of both like with anything yeah no that's probably true yeah like you kind of need a both both and a contradictory understandings of reality. Like it's a, the quantum mechanics, like wait, light is particles and waves. You're like, somehow it both. It doesn't make sense, but both. <laughs> You're like, just yeah. energy waves, but also atoms, particles, discrete units. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Which one is it? But, and they're like, but both. And, it could, and then there, a fundamental thing could happen that throws all of that into the air and explains a lot of what we didn't understand, gets rid of some of the things that we thought we knew that we didn't know. Like maybe that is explained if you just put back, put, reinsert ether. Does that make the wave and the particle make sense? You go, well, of course it does. Cause now the particle is moving through a substance that causes a wave. Okay. Woo. Now we're good again. But, but then that throws all these other things off. So there's going to be, that's like, I mean, I feel like that kind of is like a cyclical thing. That's your crisis, you know, like we're having a crisis. Oh, it's a particle in a wave. What do we do? I know we'll fix it. And you've come back with some kind of old vestige of something, put it in there. And then, but things yeah. you never don't go get backwards perfect. in time. They yeah. still have to go forward in time. I know. Yeah, it's we so still have to progress. It's just like Young said, you know, about the personal psychology. It's like, it doesn't doesn't call for perfection it calls for completeness and so there's always this yeah movement and of the personality the changing of you know your personality over time like he had like a setting you know rising in a setting sun your dominant uh personality traits and then your inferior ones and how those would reverse in later age and because partly it's like he's like it doesn't you're not, you know, you're striving for completeness, not for like perfection in some, like uh, the way we would conceptualize perfection as being like the perfect version of your strengths, your personality strengths or something. He's like, but that's not right. He's like, you need to explore the completeness, the opposite of whatever your strength is in later life or whatever. And yeah. 
this guy loves like he won't he doesn't want to I think rest on this as like his main argument, but he he does talk about it quite a bit. And I think if he felt free to be a little less academic, he would say, after all, everything else goes in cycles. Why wouldn't human civilization? Right. He's like right. the sun rises and falls, the seasons there's four seasons they come and go. There's all these quaternities and things like it, but just us, we just don't do that. Like that doesn't work. There's cycles. And he, he mentions like, of course, every now and then you have an early winter, a false fall, a late summer, a hot summer, a dry, what, you know what I mean? Like things (laughs) happen all the time, but it doesn't mean that the cycle isn't there, but just something off in the cycle, just a little different could could really be for certain individuals unbelievably devastating like a late win a, a long winter oh yeah or a false a false spring like could completely destroy every crop you planted right, <laughs> and then you have right. to just uh-huh. do it all again because one little thing happened it doesn't mean like there's not going to be a spring it just means something in the cycle had some whatever it's whether it's chance or deterministic we don't know. We couldn't know. So it might as well be chance. Mm. You have to be flexible mm. for that. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. I hope this podcast wasn't too tedious. Oh, yeah. Too tedious. I don't know that we were too tedious.